You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to another episode episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense, getting all my uh, uh, syllables mixed up there. But um, today we're going to be talking uh, uh, specifically about some leadership principles and ideas. My guest is a lady named Vanessa Udelman. Vanessa is uh, a coach and a, a leadership uh, wizard, and we're going to talk about a couple of pillars and ideas to help you become a more effective leader. Vanessa, welcome to the show. Hello, Doug. Great to be here with you. Yeah, and uh, likewise, pleasure to have you. It's a little bit of a custom here, Vanessa, that we uh, we ask our guests to share a little bit of backstory and uh, a little bit of the journey to get to where you are and how you got turned on to the topic areas that, that you teach and, and coach. Absolutely. So I am a, a teacher by training. Uh, in university, I was an English major. My parents said, what are you going to do with a degree in English? Go get a job. So I went to teacher's college for a year and I taught at-risk youth. And after getting a few too many binders thrown in my head, I thought, oh, I don't think this is for me. So I moved into the training and consulting world. So still education, which is my passion, but working with adults is much more civilized. So um did work at a consulting organization for many years, developing leaders across the globe, um, moved in-house to develop leaders. And that's where I really gained um, my experience being in the trenches. And I realized it's very different to talk about and consult about leadership than to lead. It was tough, Doug. I have to say, I had some people who reported to me that loved my leadership style. I had some people who reported to me that really didn't appreciate my leadership style. And it was from those people that I learned the most. And um, I, I, I inherited low-performing teams. I worked with high-performing teams. Um, both are equally challenging. You know, working with the high-performing team, you have to stay high-performing. That's challenging and mitigate burnout. Working with a low-performing right. team is really challenging to rate people. So I've been in the trenches. And then um, I started my own business about 12 years ago. And the impetus was having a terrible boss really made my life miserable. And I'm sure anyone listening to this can relate. We've all had those bad bosses before. And that experience really solidified my passion for developing leaders, because quite frankly, I didn't want anyone else to experience the soul-sucking experience that I had working for someone who was very soul-sucking. Yeah. You know, we have talked about this on this show a number of times. There, there's a weird and, and strange process and tradition in modern business, especially at the larger companies. We see a need for a team leader, and what do we do? We go look out at the team, and we say, well, who's my best performer? Who's my best individual contributor? And, and you go, poof, you're the, the new supervisor. Well, that person may or may not be profiled or equipped to take on that management role and, and ultimately leadership role. And um, the irony is, at least in big businesses traditionally, that person, if they're a little bit successful, they get rewarded with another promotion and they move on up the management chain. 
And it's usually two, three, maybe even four promotions later that somebody in HR or executive team wakes up and says, let's go get this person some coaching. They're not doing really well as a manager. There's high turnover. There's a lot of friction, a lot of frustration. Let's see if we can fix them. Well, <clears throat> there you go. And in the meantime, you've burned through a lot of really capable employees and and potentially real high performers that like you did and many others do, they, they choose to vote with their feet and they say, I'm not going to suffer this anymore. And that's how we get to the old tagline, people join companies and quit bosses. So you're right. You're spot on. And I, I think a lot of people listening can empathize and, and relate to it. But you have a, a bit of a framework that you shared with me that, that I likewise enjoy and, and I, I really appreciate. And that is when we think about helping people become better leaders, there are really some layers to that journey. And specifically, the idea is lead yourself, lead others, and then ultimately lead the business. And... Um, I don't think everybody gets into the management game realizing that there's those multi-dimensions to the process and the challenge of really doing well at all three levels. I, I think that that's one of the biggest challenges out there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And there, there's there's a level before that that I, I share with leaders. I'm sure you're familiar with the book, The Leadership Pipeline which talks about the six passages of leadership, right? So people don't even realize, back to your example of this person gets promoted four levels up, right? So people don't realize that every, you know, when you're an individual contributor, you're at passage one, right? You still have to get your job done, be a team player, you know, be a subject matter expert. The minute you move into leadership for the first time, you move into passage two. Well, that's the first time in your career where your job actually changes, right? It's no longer about me getting results for myself. It's around you as a leader getting results through others. And now you have to split your time between getting your job done and also motivating others to get their job done, right? Then you move into managing managers and managing a function and managing an organization. So that's something people don't even know, that there's there's passages of leadership and that at every passage, you have to learn new new skills. Right, right. Yeah, there, there is no one-size-fit-all solution to that, and, and you're absolutely correct, and I agree that at, at each new opportunity for progression, there's inevitably some new challenges that may um, talk about or, or, or may challenge the capacity that you've already developed. And um, uh, all of a sudden now, you, you thought you had it nailed. The old job was working well. It was well-oiled. And, and you get the promotion opportunity, and you feel like a miserable failure. Or the ever-present imposter syndrome creeps in because you, you hear and understand the demands of the new job. And you look in the mirror and say, whew, I'm, I'm not ready for this. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm I have a doubt that. about my ability. Yeah, I call that new level, new devil, right? When you like move it. into new level, new devil. And so I always um, caution people from using the language of imposter syndrome because what I remind people is you're not an imposter and you don't have a syndrome. You just moved into a new level and you need to learn new skills. So 
don't worry, you've got this. There's a reason you're promoted is because, you know, you have a lot of strengths. So let's just get you to the next set of skills that, that are required for this new level of leadership, right? So that's those are a couple of um, pos- repositions that I like to make with people. Um, and you had asked about the pillars. So the three pillars of leadership success, the reason I created these, so they are know yourself, manage your team and lead your business. And the reason I created these three pillars is because leadership's complex, right? It's very multifaceted. And that's why a lot of leaders, leaders struggle day to day. They don't know how to prioritize or where to focus their time because they don't understand that there are different facets of leadership. So I like to simplify things for people, right? Strip down the complexity. And so if you know now as your, it's your job to have self-awareness and know yourself, to manage your team, which is coaching, developing your people, creating a high-performing team, and leading your business, which is how to execute strategically, lead and manage change, prioritize and delegate, right? If you understand that that's your job, then it takes away a lot of the stress for leaders. And they say, I could do this. It just feels um, that they can accomplish their job as a leader with much more confidence and focus if they understand that it's their job to do those three different parts. I like that because I think the reality is and where a lot of people get bogged down, especially when they have moved up a level and they're being hit with the complexities and extra demand of the new role, they <clears throat> I, I think it all becomes a blur, all the questions and the demands and questions bubbling up from your people, questions coming horizontally from peer groups or stakeholders, and certainly questions from above from maybe senior management or outside parties like customers, suppliers, etc. <clears throat> and all of the discussions just start to blur together and it's hard to create your own individual clarity on asking, well, wait a minute, what are we talking about here? Is this a people issue? Is it a team issue? Is it a strategy problem? You know, and being able to synthesize that and, and compartmentalize to a degree, I think is very important. Yes, and very helpful in terms of people's focus and prioritization. Right. Right. I, I often spend time with clients challenging them on what they've been able to do with creating their own sense of a personal vision for what they're doing, whatever the task is, whether it's a entrepreneur that's built a business or has acquired a business or whether it's a middle manager in a larger company. And even upper middle, upper senior uh, managers. It, it's interesting to me how sometimes you ask that question, do you have a vision of what you're doing? And a lot of times the answer is I'm waiting for direction. Well, from who, you know? <laughs> it, it, it's one thing to appreciate the chain of command and, and, and wait for orders, so to speak. But I argue that every person in a role of responsibility where you are the designated manager slash leader, you need to take what you know and craft your own sense of vision of what is next and what does a win look like and where are you going. And I think that's critically important because it helps a lot of the other uh, response to challenges and questions go much easier. 
Oh, for sure. That's that whole pillar. Know yourself, manage your team, lead your business. The third pillar of leadership success, lead your business. That's what it's all about, is executing strategically, which means you have a vision for your team. If you don't know what it is, and, and I, I tell a lot of people, Doug, I say, if you don't know what your responsibilities are, because a lot of people I find don't, Doug, because there's been so much change in their organization that they don't know anymore what their job is. So I always say, go ask your boss. It's time for another one-on-one. And the way I like to put it, the way I like to simplify it is, what are you paid to do right now? So I love when I start working with leaders to get them to write it out. Here's what I I think I'm paid to do right now. Then check in with your boss and say, would you agree with this? Am I paid to do this right now? And if you know that, then it really will help you identify that vision. It'll help you set goals for your team. It'll help you meet with your team and say, okay, here's what I'm paid to do. Now, what are you paid to do? And how does it roll up and align to what I'm paid to do? And based on that, let's sit down quarterly and talk about everybody's clear what they're paid to do now what our goals are so that's that's what it that's what that's called thinking strategically planning strategically and executing strategically Uh, i agree totally and and you're right i think you you mentioned a critical step in there getting that alignment with whoever is above you in the organization and even if I know I'm kind of bouncing around between the entrepreneurial realm and, and the corporate realm, but even in the entrepreneurial, if you're the business owner, you still need to do some alignment with key customers. You know, you, you might be a, a real big visionary. You might be designing all these products and services, but if your market doesn't want it or doesn't care about it, you're you're going to waste a colossal amount of time and money getting there and having those alignment discussions with key customers key stakeholders and even your own people to say hey we've been doing this and it's working pretty well we got some nice margin but it looks like we could bolt on this other piece what do you think about that how would that look what 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 could we do to grow the business you doing some of that and and get the validation and alignment with other parties who have a vested interest in what you're doing and the reality is if if the if the drums tell you no you you better not do that you you need to go think about something else yeah you bet and i love that concept around alignment it also it also makes me think about one of the other leadership um capabilities that leaders undervalue which is innovation you know challenge the status quo right again i don't one of the trends because i work with leaders across many organizations so i have uh, a bird's eye view of trends across different organizations and, and countries. And one of the trends I definitely see with leaders is they don't they don't spend enough time. Uh, they don't carve out time to think strategically, to, to innovate, to ask questions about the future. They get so stuck in the weeds. Um, and I was just coaching an executive today who told me, you know what, Vanessa, I did this very um, unstrategic task today. And I said, well, what's the reason for that? She said, because my team's so busy and I don't want to burden them. And I said, no, that's not an executive mindset. You can't do that. You can't be doing work from six jobs ago. You have to learn to let go. That's right. That's right. And boy, that raises a good point. And that is one of the big temptations. You 
you got promoted because you were proven effective at some level, and sometimes that does have to do with your own individual continued contribution to execution and delivery. But as you move further up the organization, even just the simple time you've got to be able to do that sort of detailed execution goes away. And you are expected to be thinking more strategically and I often talk with leaders who feel the, the, the rub of being told or, or feeling the pressure of being able to think strategically, but they're still stuck in the past doing tactical execution and delivery. And it feels very unsettling and uncomfortable to step out of that role, let your team do it and lean into the idea of being more strategic. And I've, it's not uncommon to have clients say, I don't think I understand what strategic thinking is. I, I don't think I know it. I, nobody's ever taught it to me. I, I don't even know what the boss is asking for in that realm. That is so true. And the reason is, quite frankly, it's, it's not their fault. They've just never taught what strategy means. And the reason it's complex is because I teach my clients that there's three parts of strategy, right? That's why it's so complicated. There's strategic thinking, there's strategic planning, and there's strategic implementation. So the strategic thinking part is I, I, I ask all of the leaders that I work with to set it and forget it. What I mean for that by that is set half-day quarterly meetings in January every quarter for the entire year, set it and forget it. And that's going to be your time with your team. It gets put in everyone's calendar at the beginning of the year, right? At least four times a year, you're going to have a half day or two hours at least to talk about strategic thinking. What are we doing that's working? What are we doing that's not? What can we do to challenge the status quo? Um, let's look at our vision. Is it working? Do we need to make tweaks and adjustments? So that's strategic thinking. Strategic planning is then... Now, how can we move things forward? What do we need to do? It's getting out the Excel spreadsheet. It's using your RACI chart. Um, if, if those of you listening don't know what RACI it stands for, it's Responsible, Accountable, Consult, and Inform. My favorite project management tool, put it on a Excel spreadsheet, write the project. Who's the names of the people? Who's responsible? Who's accountable, right? Who do we need to consult with and inform? And so then there's strategic implementation. And to be honest, Doug, I don't know what you found, but in my experience, most leaders are actually decent at strategic thinking and strategic planning. They fall short on strategic implementation. Right, right. And, and sometimes once people are introduced to the idea of strategic thinking and even the planning part, they do get enamored with that and they, and they they get on a treadmill of constantly changing the definition and and moving the goalpost so that and that's one of the biggest hindrances that i see in the ultimate execution is that if you begin down a path towards something you think is a goal but you move the goalpost you're never going to get there <laughs> And it, it, it's one thing to adjust your plan or make some slight course corrections along the way, but you can't be redefining the objective every quarter. I mean, you know, you're, to your point on the quarterly meeting, 
if you're grossly, and, and I'm talking about an extreme here where you've essentially said, yeah, last quarter we agreed to do X, Y, and Z. We're not going to do that anymore. We're going to go A, B, and C. Well, guess what? You, you just put your organization in some kind of tailspin. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's classic change management. I think rather, you know, stay the course, ask the important questions, but stay the course. And I think an important way to do that is, you know, is thinking about how do I, if if I've done my strategic thinking and I've done my strategic planning, how do I do my strategic implementation? Run accountability meetings with your team, right? It's not that hard to meet with with your team maybe weekly or bi-monthly and just to say, let's check in on our goals. What action steps have you taken? What help do you need from me? And here's what I need to share with you right? It's not complicated. That could be a 20 minute meeting. So I think sometimes leaders also overcomplicate things, right? And I, and I, I like to, again, simplify totally. it for you. That's all you need to do to hold people accountable is really, what are your goals? What action steps do you need to take? And what helps you need for me? And that's it. Okay. I have walked into to very large corporate environments where arguably the work they do is very complex and, and very sophisticated. And that kind of cloud of complexity filters down and permeates the organization. And people almost get this weird mindset that the more complex my job can be, the more value I am to the company and my worth is justified by all of that. But even in those environments, the best leaders have the ability to cut through all that and get to clarity. And and they go, all right, guys, all right, yes, there's this alphabet soup up on our whiteboard. But here's point A to point B. And when we get to point B, that's a win. We, We will have succeeded. We will have accomplished something. Let's don't lose sight of that. All this other stuff can be going on, but let's remember that's a win. I love that quality in leadership. I call it the prepared leader. I think that whole concept of being a prepared leader is largely undervalued. But it's it's one of the top skills that I teach leaders to do. Plan. For, like for example, meetings, right? Everybody says, I spend too much time in meetings. So then I'll ask people, okay, well, how many of you raise your hands if I'm in a group of leaders? I'm like, how many of you actually have agendas in your meetings? of people raise their hands. How many of you have at the top of your meeting agendas, the focus of the meeting is, and the four things you want to address and how much time you're going to spend on each item. Nobody does that. Nobody does. Like that's basic, right? So again, if you can spend two minutes and these are little tweaks in your leadership practice that don't take time. They don't take a lot of time, literally two minutes. What's the purpose of the meeting? What are the four things we want to cover and how much time do you want to spend on each? Doug, how long do you think that'll take? Like two minutes? What do you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Doesn't, doesn't take long at all to do that. Yeah. <clears throat> well, and uh, along that line, uh, the bigger the company, I also hear people frustrated by the the sense that it, you, if you look at their calendar, they just start at seven in the morning and they're back to back to back to back to back in meetings. And I'll always challenge them to say, yeah, but how many of those do you really have to be sitting in on? Because what I see happen more often than not is people get invited to meetings as a courtesy because the the key 
stakeholders, the key operators that are needing to meet, don't want to violate somebody else's turf or they don't want to accidentally bump into the turf and step and encroach. So they invite a person, usually the department head, to that meeting. And it's an hour on your calendar and you're just there as a courtesy. You're not being asked for any input. You're not being asked for any contribution to the meeting. You're just there in case you hear something that, you know, violates your space. Well, you can delegate that. If you're an executive, you can delegate a body to go to that meeting, hear that story, and report back. Because inevitably at those meetings, it's it's not a mission-critical right now kind of impact. It might be planned and projected and, oh, by the way, we're going to be, you know, out here in six months doing this. Okay, well, the lieutenant can take that back to the the department head and say, did you know that so-and-so is going to go touch this thing over here? Oh, no, we don't want them to do that. Or, yeah, no big deal. Sure, that's fine. Go ahead. That's why I love going back to RACI. If you're, you, you can use RACI with the lens of identifying what's holding you back in your calendar, right? So if you look at meetings, Am I responsible and accountable for this deliverable? Attend. If I'm there as a C or an I, consultant in form, what's the point of being there? Just ask the person after or someone on your team who went, anything anyone needed for me in the meeting, right? I would really challenge everybody to look at your calendar and go through all your meetings and say, which meetings am I a consultant in form? And then just say politely to the person, you know, I know that you're asking me to attend this meeting because you don't want to leave me out. And I really respect that. However, I, I'm just there to, you know, for information. Would you be okay if I don't attend this meeting anymore? Is that okay? And if you need anything from me, would you be willing to follow up with me after? Like, just have a crucial conversation with someone. Right. I don't think anyone will say, no, you need to be there. I think they'll say, you know what? Great point. Yeah. Well, and same thing is true. Uh, I I was working with one senior executive once, and he was complaining about all that. And I said, wait a minute, how many levels up the organization are you compared to all these people that are organizing these meetings? And he laughed a minute. And I said, well, for starters, you're senior enough. If you get an invite to a meeting, why don't you demand that you get to see the agenda? And then you can make a choice about whether or not you want to attend. And he, he laughed immediately. His reaction was, that's going to cut out 80% of my meetings. <laughs> and, well, isn't that the goal? And I said, bingo, you know, you Hallelujah. just... Hallelujah. You just... Uh, 80% less time in meetings. And, and so sure enough, a couple of weeks later, I was back engaged with him again. And he said, he, yeah, he was beaming. He said, you wouldn't believe the, the stuff I've gotten done in the last couple of weeks because I've cut over half of my meetings off my calendar. And he said, and we're not missing anything. He said, I've, even the ones where people started sending me agendas, I could decide if I could send one of my direct reports to the meeting in my place and we could pick it up at our own internal staff meeting and I didn't need to be there. And he he was glowing. He, he was just so excited. And it, it it was it was funny to me. And here's a guy that's been in the industry 25 years and he hadn't figured this out yet. But, you know, it's because it's an evolutionary drip on time. You you keep doing it. You get into a habit and you believe that that's where the bar is set. And the answer is, no, it's not. It doesn't have to be.
So true. I always say time management is self-management. It's actually not time management. We shouldn't call it that because you can't stop the clock, right? You actually can't manage time. But what you can do is manage yourself in relation to the time that you have, right? So it's putting away your phone, not being distracted, multitasking. I see so many leaders multitasking during meetings. I'm like, put away, when you have a one-on-one, put away your laptop, focus, really listen. Like that's coaching. If you want to have a coaching conversation with someone, you can't be typing an email and multitasking, right? Eye contact, really listening. You'll be actually in and out of that meeting faster if you're not multitasking and if you're really listening. That's just good self-management. Yeah. Well, the guys that are more expert in uh, in, in neurolinguistics and brain science, I've, I've had a number of them on the show here. They all unilaterally agree that technically inside the human brain, there is no such thing as multitasking. It is a single thread operating system. Now, those single threads fire off the synapse connection between nodes in your brain fire off at, you know, nanosecond speed. But technically, it's a single thread, you can't load the pipe. It's not a a multi lane highway, it doesn't really work that way. And when you really lean into that realization, you can't be focused on one thing performing at optimum capacity while you're distracted by something else, a la call it multitasking. No such thing. <laughs> no such thing. That'd be a good title for a book. Multitasking, no such thing. Yeah. That's how yeah. often that dog. There you we all, go. You all heard it here first. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, Vanessa, I think this has really been helpful, and I think we've covered a lot of good ground. And and in in respect to our listeners' span of span of thinking and thought, I I think I may want to wrap this up. Tell folks the best way to get a hold of you if they're looking for more information about your programs and the work you do. Sure. I have a website, yourleadershipresources.com, that you can go to, and you can do a self-assessment thing there and uh, listen to past podcasts I've done. And there's lots of free resources that you can get there. If you're interested in my website, it's mosaicpd.com, which stands for Mosaic People Development. And you're welcome to link in with me too. I love connecting with people on LinkedIn. That's awesome. Well, as always, folks, we'll have that contact info down in the show notes. So be sure to check that out and click those links for getting in touch with Vanessa. And as always, if you want to get in touch with me, you can hop over to my website simply at DougThorpe.com. That's T-H-O-R-P-E. There are likewise a lot of resources there and and some uh, links you can click to set up schedules and calls. Love to do a free, no obligation courtesy call with you to talk about your leadership development challenges and ideas that you may have. So one last time, Vanessa, thanks for sitting in. This has been great. Great chatting with you, Doug. Thanks for your time. All right, folks, with that, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and I want to encourage you to go out there and make it a great day. Uh, Don't forget to hop over to YouTube and look at our channel by the same name. You can see the video of all the shows there, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hope to see you again real soon. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.